Hello, my name is Tony DeBolfo and welcome to this week's episode of Our History. Today's guest hailed from just up the road at North Melbourne Colts. He represented the North Melbourne Football Club in 130 games from 1944 through to 1951 as a fleet of foot on baller and he was awarded the Sid Barker Medal as North's club champion in only his third season. He also turned out for the Shinboners in their losing grand final of 1950 and he represented Victoria five times. On completion of his playing career, he coached North Melbourne at senior level, but also Carlton in pivotal moments in this club's history. From 1976 to 1979, he served as general manager of the Carlton Football Club, and as he closes in now on his 91st birthday, we're so happy that he's found time to be with us today. He's one of the nicest blokes in the caper, and his name (laughs) is Keith McKenzie. Keith, welcome to Carlton. The caper? Well, we're playing out at Waverley. And we were, we were, I think we were about six or seven goals ahead and all the boys were just looking around. I said, well, look, there's no good me talking to you. Just go out. You know the caper and just go out. So it was the shortest coach's uh, address I think ever been. And yet the nickname the nickname and that's stuck how the name and the caper came about here. Keith, it would be remiss of me not to offer the condolences of all here at the Carlton Football Club to you on the recent passing of your beloved wife, Joan. She and you were soulmates for the best part of 67 years, and we remember her with affection. Yeah, yes. It's a sad day. It's a very sad day for me, but I'm getting over it, and uh, the Carlton were great again. You know, I got a lot, of, a lot of letters and what have you. Keith, your playing career took in the dark days of the Second World War and we were just having a chat a little bit earlier about the time uh, during that period that you served for Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about about your war service? Uh, uh, let me see. Oh, number one, we uh, used to play football up in Milne Bay and uh, I remember the, uh, we had our intelligence officer was a gentleman, a solicitor called uh, Keon Cohen. The name was famous in Melbourne, uh, and uh, we used to play in the mud and the slush and everything. I was the captain of the side, and uh, we played the Navy and the Army, and, and so it was all uh, the coconuts falling around now and again. <laughs> but the, uh, that was, uh, the, uh, I suppose, we, it was interesting to see a lot of uh, different people that uh, came from different states because you never used to travel much in in those days. But overall, the... Uh, I was the, uh, you know, very lucky. I think we were lucky, as I just previously told you, that the, the Japanese were coming down the Mumbai, and we had a lot of big heavy raids. And there was, a, and there was, a, but they came into when the Australians and Americans had more or less were doing manoeuvres, and they they just wiped out the Japanese, and that's what, that was the turning point. Mumbai was really. Was part of go on the on the move to go on onto what they did. You were there, I think, through nineteen forty two and forty three. And you mentioned you worked in maintenance, but you did have a connection with the seventy seventh squadron. Yeah, well, that was the seventy seventh squadron. That was the squadron we formed. We were still goes the seventy seventh squadron. Still is the squadron in Williamtown in uh, Sydney, in New South Wales, and uh, we had some. We had a uh, different pilots came from uh, Singapore. Was Japan, uh, Canadian, and there was an Englishman, and they were the uh, part of the part of the uh, squadron. Did you? We had uh, Dick Creswell in Sydney, and when we were in Darwin, we were in there for about six months, 
and he uh, he was the CEO of the of the uh, squadron. And one night we we got a call up the you know get in the trenches. This Japs coming over. They used to come over. The Japs used to come over because the moon, the, the moon up there was so bright, and that was why they could do the reconnaissance. And uh, and next we got Talio. That was the Quetzal uh, de Quetzal. He got the got shot down in one of their betties. What was this bombers? And uh, they, uh, we all heard about it. And he didn't, when he landed, he was the first one to shoot a, a Japanese car a plane in the uh, in that time of the year. So you saw, you know, people you knew, you know, shot down, or you, there were people there that you, you would have seen some terrible things. Were you yourself close at all to the only risk? Thing, the only thing we were no, not really as far as meeting Japanese, but we were in the bombing and all, getting bombed and things like that. But the, uh, no, never really in danger of being, you know. In, as a matter of fact, I think I only saw one Jap who, who, who when he got uh, that Betty we got shot down. The uh, the boys had to find it, and they got there in that period. <laughs> but it's the uh, it's a great experience, and I suppose I'll, I'll tell you something. We got posted a good enough uh, uh, island. It's in the Solomons, and the uh, cook uh, I forget his first name from Geelong. He was in a plane, and he uh, we saw him blow up at the, on the, as he was taken off the bomb. He hit the hit the strip, and he got killed. So uh, it's in a, in a, in a Australians that football played, and he was he was a uh, we just saw it go up plane. Do you uh, still march at all? Yeah, I Fred? march. Yeah, I march. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and do you acknowledge the way that the AFL has um, paid tribute to Anzac Day through the match? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like a mate, you know. Like I think Gallipoli, you know, and. Uh, it's, it created a mate, mateship, and uh, everybody got on well. They didn't, you know, it's very good. Now, Keith, um, I mentioned you, you're 90, um, so w- we take you back to the 1920s now, when you when you were born. Yes. Uh, what are your earliest memories of North Melbourne growing up in the in the? Era? Well, we we uh, I was in a midwife in the uh, in South Melbourne, we right near where South Bank is now. And there's a street, there's a funny thing, there's a street called Bright Street where we were born. And there the um, fellow, you know, Eureka, I, I knew the project manager of, of him. And I came, he says, come down and have a look at this uh, building show and he showed me in you know, And I looked up and I saw Bright Street and that's where I was born. And of course, it was just, it was just the Bright Street. So I said, I said to him, could I get that? He said... Because he goes, as I said, now heritage about it at all. As he said, no, no. You t-. So I've got it at home. We've got an, an aquarium at home, and uh, I've got a post put up and got Broad Street. <laughs> so you you were born there, and yet you you grew up in North Melbourne. No, no. We, we where we go? We moved around a bit. Oh, we were in South Melbourne for a while. Of course, that was South Melbourne in those days. We were, and the then the well, I just can't remember where we went from there. On Mooney Ponds, we went to Mooney Ponds. That's where I joined the Air Force from there. And the uh, mum was a great uh, milliner, depression, the father out of work, and she was a you know, marvellous. Made all the uh, sacrifices, always sent us to school, you know, clean, socks up, all that. So, uh, so it was a tough times then. 
But we got through it. You got through. And you, you played for North Melbourne Colts. So what I'm wondering is how the connection with North Melbourne happened. Why did you end up playing there? Uh, well, the, uh, we, 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 I, we shifted to Kensington. And I got to know the locals, and we were all, you know, we were going to school at the Kensington State School. And the, uh, that's how I really sort of got into it. And then I was playing school, uh, uh, playing football, the, uh, football for, uh, this, uh, for school. And we played David Feldy on different sides in that other schools. Billy Hutchison was playing by the Lamberts. And there was another one. So they were all... Uh, Playing against us in those times, and they all, they all t- turned out pretty good players. And you were zoned to North Melbourne? No, yeah, zoned. Oh, it wasn't zoning. It was just no, no, they weren't zoning. But uh, you could move. I remember when I played in the interstate games. The uh, Howard Oakey was the chairman of the of the VFL team, and uh, he had a chat to me about would you be interested in coming to Essendon, and. Uh, and I said, oh, no, no. I said, you didn't do it that in these days. I said, I'd just stay with North Melbourne. But, the, uh, but it would have been, uh, you know, when I see what they, all the memberships they want. But I still play with my mates. So. Now, Keith, uh, on the completion of your playing career at league level with North, you actually crossed to Moorabbin, uh, the, then VFA newcomers, and you earned their best and fairest award in your first season playing with them. You also took the team to the finals for the first time in 52, and then you finally hung up the boots, I think, uh, some years later uh, with Moorabbin. So were you learning the coaching craft at that time at Moorabbin? Was it a good learning curve for you? Yeah, Moorabbin was a... Uh that was uh, St Kilda's ground, you know, as you knew. And that, we had the opening of the ground. That, that time, uh, Sir Kent Hughes opened it up. And uh, uh, we had it, you know, we got a few players from different league sides. And it was, it was quite a good uh, side, actually. But I, North, North asked me to come back over. And, so I, and then they won a premiership about, I think, the year after as I left. You you also at Frankston, I think you yeah, took... Yeah, we won the flag. You took Frankston the flag, yeah. yeah. That, that would have been a good year. We wouldn't have won without... I, I knew I had to get a couple of good players somewhere, so I got Mick Rambo from North and Kevin Dinan, and I got them for the finals. Do you and they, and they, they won it for me. <laughs> do you remember what year that was? 70... No, 61, when Hawthorne won the flag. Was Chrissy Pavlo yeah, there at Chris, that time? He, he was around Chris, yes, but his brother played George... Chris was playing with Carlton at that time, I think. So that was a, a, a great experience for you, that, that particular year of 61 at Frankston. What did you then do after the Frankston connection? You went back to North, did you? Yeah, I coached the thirds. I came back and coached the thirds. And then uh, I became uh, in with the seconds. And then uh, Killer. And then I got the job of, uh, of uh, coaching the seniors. That was when the illness forced Alan Killer grew into retirement? He went. I think he went over to Western Australia. I think that's where he went and he uh, coached over there. He was, of course, known as the host, hot gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's a good story you can relate oh, about gee, him? He's a funny man. Funny man, you know. He's very, very dirty on the uh, academics. <laughs> Bloody, you, you, <laughs> he used to be a, you know, but uh, he, was, he wasn't a bad coach, but that sort of coach here, of course, would never survive nowadays. 
And just looking at the period of time that, that you're talking about, Keith, they were tough a tough five years. We, we we have North Down as having won 23 games from 82 starts. Yeah. So it, they were tough times. Times, yeah, real tough, yeah. And then, of course, there was a, a, a pivotal moment. Um, the team at North finished last in 1970. You were senior coach of North. Yes, yes. You crossed to Carlton yes. to join Ronald Albarassi here. Yes, what yeah. um, brought that on? You were coach of the Carlton Reserves. Well, Brass and uh, I, we used to work together in the, in the city in a company called C.S. Morton. He used to sell the office furniture and I sold the domestic furniture. And the, uh, Graham Donaldson, Graham Donaldson, wasn't it? he was assistant in coach. He got made a coach of Fitzroy. And Brass came to me and said, would you come over to uh, Carlton? And which was, that was the turning point of the, uh, you know, I was very down in the, when we were at North and not being successful. But the, uh, when I went to go, I learnt a whole lot. It's uh, probably a good moment to get you to perhaps read a little bit from the letter that you've brought in today that you recently rediscovered yes. about, about the connection you had with, with Barassi yeah. and, and what it meant to you in terms of your coaching. Could you yeah. perhaps just read a little bit of that yeah, for the listeners, yeah. please? I came back to... I came, I made a, North Melbourne made the finals in 1958 and could not go on with it. I came back to the club as a coach in 1967 and stayed there until 1970. Now I learned a valuable lesson from coaching my coaching days, firstly like the club in, in that era. I was not a successful coach. I knew it then as, as I know it now. Incidentally, I believe the reasons that I am about to give you is true of Collingwood of today, 1982. My problem was at North Melbourne, looking back in retrospect, I played under coaches that had always been at North Melbourne and possibly locked the, the nice guys and everything, but they lacked the authentic knowledge and the way of imparting it to players and because of my in, inefficiencies coming from other coaches that I had to be under at North. I was the same. I knew that somewhere along the line I was missing out. There was something I just didn't know about coaching. Now at this time I leave North Melbourne's story as such became a viewer from the outside. In 1971... Ron Barassi asked me to join him as his assistant at Carlton and then I tweaked as it all happened. I knew then what I never had. I found Barassi's coaching to be ultimate, what he has teaching to be correct way and when, when I coached the reserves, I was confident that we were going to win which followed through on the four times I coached Carlton when Barassi and Nichols were away or suspended. I was able to win those four games and never in my mind thought that I would lose. It changed me from a fellow who was dejected and disappointed at not being successful as a coach to a winner in a club who had a tradition of success. I was starting to learn with the people around me and the environment that all my thoughts were on success. I couldn't think of failure. There's a saying that there's a very little difference between a winner and a loser and the big difference being the little difference that I've been looking for. For you as an audience, there are those you hear that will be better at your work than others. It's the same in football. I would like to share with you some of Barassi's secrets that gave him his winning edge. He always tried harder. You most probably have heard of the saying, when the going gets tough and the tough gets going. Ron has updated that one, he always tries harder and always aims for perfection. Now he knows that no one is perfect, but as long as a person strives for perfection, he will accept it. 
it's when a person won't that is when he fires up. And really in your life, your career, if you don't or won't try hard, that is a shame. Some other features on Barassi, he learned from his mistakes in 1969 grand final against Richmond. He came out at three-quarter time and went, and went Carlton was in front and gave the team the greatest pay of all time. Uh, then they told him they were slackers and the players turned a bit sour and they lost the game. In 1970, when he walked on the ground at three-quarter time, he told them, I wouldn't care if you lost this game. You've been unbelievable. You've done everything. I've asked of you. So he learned from that pattern, and this is, and this is how you do learn. Because if a coach is not imaginative and is too defensive and frightened to do things, because he's frightened of criticism, he'll never be a good coach. And it's like life. To me, Barassi is a guy who knows his job. He, he's not like a manager who is a top salesman and can't teach and is always a bit scared in case he's teaching you too much so that his job is ultimately in jeopardy. If he sees a budding player coming up, he's very willing and loves to be able to have his player coming under his guidance. He is a giver. He's mad on feedback. If Price due, will be the first to give it. Example, a reserves player going to kick due to training practice. He reasons that if the average player gets 15 kicks a match, and there are 18 players in the team, and each player can gain one extra kick during the match by working on one of their weaknesses. That means 18 extra kicks for the team during the match. And that one extra man in the team, how does that relate to your comp- comp- company sales? If you, t- if you work to work on one small weakness, each of you here today could mean one extra, ma- one extra member on the team. More and more in business and football, you have to work harder. It's that... And it's it that a pro, if you don't want to be a pro, then you won't well, just forget about it. And really, that's what I'm telling you now about North Melbourne. They learned it to do it right. They sat down and made a plan of a goal to put it together. And Package got the best personnel and worked hard. I'll repeat that part again. They worked hard. If a field success could come from North Melbourne or Carlton or anyone without it, it worked. Forget it. Keith, there's been much written and said about Ron Barassi over the years, but that's one of the greatest critiques of Ron Barassi I think I've heard. And what's interesting about that paper you just read from is that that was penned, I think, around 1981, 82. Yeah. And you only just turned that up recently in a clean-up clean of your up house. Of house, yeah, yeah. That was meant to be that you yeah. discovered that before today's interview. It's lovely to hear your reflections on Barassi and the impact he made on you yeah. as coach. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what it did. It just made... I, I had, I always thought I could coach. I brought in a lot of new ideas. You know, we used to go out and train uh, before the game, but the league stopped that. You, would, you couldn't do it. So I, do, I used to get a bus and take them up to University High, and we did it up there. But the only thing wrong with that, of course, you wouldn't do that these days. The, um, you're coming back on, on the bus back to go, come play the ground. We were all worked up, and then... Supporters are cup waving to us, and they're waving back. I said, "Oh Christ, we've done the wrong thing here." So that didn't last. But that was the. Uh, now I did a dossiers on players. I had it was different, like Ray Jordan. They said, "You be before your time." A lot of players said that too. Seventy-two, as you said. I mean, I mean, oh, it was an amazing game. But I know that there was so much planning that went into that. That, was that performance. You were there, you were privy yeah. to that. Do you remember? Well, far, not because of me, we all put in. But I did say, 
I remember saying to uh, Rowdy, it was Rowdy, well, down at uh, uh, Kevin McEnroe, he was on the committee and also on the match committee, and they, uh, there was uh, Jack Rout, Big Nick, and myself, I think, and I'm Bert Deacon. And we all uh, sat, and, uh, and I just saw what I'd been doing. I said there were been one finals, and but I just happened to mention about the, why don't you... Shoot the side around a little bit different. Where uh, because you know, Hafey uh, Tom Tom Hafey is a bit not. He didn't believe in changing his play, especially so early in the game. And uh, I think the confusion would, would all work because John Nichols went down the forward line and he kicked six goals, and uh, it was just the uh, walls he kicked, and it was just a massive, massive game. The the team effectively, Keith, was turned on its head in terms of where it started on the ground, and and as you say, I think it caught. Richmond and Hafey out and, and it was a, a surreal game I mean there were 50 goals kicked in that game yes. the record score still stands and you were actually in the coach's box alongside yes. yeah. Tom Hafey separated by that little thin wall yeah, of the MCC right. members do you remember how how did the dynamics work with you and Nick I mean Big Nick was captain coach out in the ground during the game was there a lot of toing and froing between you and him did he Call the shots, or were no, you in not, a position not, to do it? Not really, no, not really. It was, uh, he had a lot of confidence in me, but uh, he did mainly the lot. You know, he was he because he, he knows football inside out. But I, I thought, but the, that was the way we did it, and uh, it worked. So that, so that's what I, I learned from Barassi. He, he wanted to do something completely out of difference because if you go out and play Richard and Fergie, they get smashed again. But he changed it, and of course, uh, Nick going down forward pocket, purse rucking, and uh, Kevin Hall on the ball. You know, it was all. Uh, it takes a while for a coach to do something with that, and I thought, uh, you know, maybe we should last week. Should have, uh, maybe we should have. Oh, I mean, I, mean, I know what coaches do, but the uh, I'd know, knowing Barassi, he, he would have whipped it around some way or other. Now. Twelve months on, a seventy-three grand final again against the old foe Richmond. Uh, I know circumstances went against Carlton. I think two players were lost on the eve of that game: Barry Armstrong, Trevor Kerr. I think yeah. might have been a, with, a late withdrawal with illness yeah. injury. Um, and of course, the famous incident, Keith, where Laurie Fowler ironed out Big Nick in the first quarter. Now you would, went down to the huddle at quarter time. Yeah. Did you deliver the address at quarter yeah. time or did Big no, Nick? No, no, I, w- I went out there, you know, he, he took the stats out and, and uh, but, but Big Nick's size <laughs> like concussed, you know, he was, it was unbelievable. He took him, took him up the ground, didn't you see it? He went up, lifted him, Fowler lifted him off the ground when he waked him and he said, and I said to John, do you want me to talk to the players? And he said, no, no, I'm all right, you know, but he wasn't all right. But the, he did address the players, but he, he really wasn't the player of a Nick. I think he played, you know, he, he was strong bugger like that. He just, and I think he just played on. What sort of a coach was he, Keith, Big Nick? Uh, oh, he was a good coach. He was good. He was, they, well, the big thing about Nichols is because he's, he's so, uh, you know, so thought highly, so big that uh, the players would do anything for him. A, uh, comparing to Brass, Brass was a different sort of person, 
And uh, so you saw the both of them, but they're both good coaches. And you've mentioned Jack Rad, of course. We've spoken about Barassi and John Nichols. Is another, you know, a, a giant of the club who was there at that particular time also, and that was George Harris. Yes. W- what were your dealings with him? What sort of a man was he? Well, I, it's just a shame when it, that that happened in uh, 79, wasn't it? It's a bit happy that happened. Uh, great, great president, great president. Had Larrigan, you know, been in the war with his brothers, and you know, I bet he, I bet when he went to the war with the Japanese, I bet he missed out on a meal. He know, he knew how to get something. <laughs> but uh, no, he's he, he, that was a great coup that uh, in the '65 when they made the changed the whole. So it was brilliant, and then to get Barassi, getting Barassi, we worked together, and the uh, I saw this day, saw the cameras going up. He was on the fourth floor. Cameras, reporters, everything. And so I said, what's happened? And I said, oh, they're seeing Barassi. One of the blokes said to me on the floor, and I said, oh, I'll duck up and see And they, then then uh, that's when they were signing him up at the, uh, the Carlton, which I couldn't believe. <laughs> I couldn't believe Barassi leaving 31, leaving Melbourne. It was, and I think Melbourne's never got over it. Very true. Now... Keith, you mentioned uh, to me earlier about your time as Carlton caretaker coach, senior coach. There were four instances you, you re- recalled, which you were called on to actually coach the senior team. And one of those four occasions was uh, a very famous game. It was the, the game at Windy Hill, Carlton and Essendon, oh, yeah. and the 14-goal second quarter. Now, um, what did you say to them at quarter time that made them come out and kick 14 goals? Well, when I was coaching North Melbourne, I, uh, we had won six games on end, and, uh, and I, was, I was a super coach at that time. But I only learned it from a, uh, from a, Tom Hafey's what he did with his coaching training, getting him fit and fit and fit. So I did a very early in the in those days that they didn't have they had match practices, but not you know not like I do now, and uh, I got him extremely fit. And, the, uh, and that's how, but, and so we're playing Collingwood and at Garden Street and the Truth paper, the Truth paper, and I, they interviewed me and I said, oh, we'll beat Collingwood because of we're, we're home, and which was fully seen as something you don't do, as we all know now. And anyway, uh, he, uh, what, was it, what happened then? Oh, yeah, we got beaten. We got beaten easily, and, and Tuddy went past, and you gave me the fingers, you know, you know, Tuddy was, and uh, so I said, yeah, I have, I'll never get an opportunity to have a go at him again. Anyway, it, it happened. We played Essendon up at the, uh, we played Essendon up at the Windy Hill, and at quarter time, we were about four or five goals behind. I forget how many. And I, it's funny with coaching, you know, there's something you do. I've always thought with a coach. You get the right people behind you, and you do the motivation, and you do the, you do the hard, and get them right into them. So I said, I, well, yeah, bloody, I, I went right off anyway, and the and the boys responded. They, <laughs> they all get reported. <laughs> Blacks like Austin, Mackay, Ashman, Ashman. Oh dear, everybody, <laughs> and they uh, they just turned it on fourteen goals. I think it's still a record for the quarter. Uh, yeah, for quarter, I think it is. Walsey kicked six. Um, Swan, I think, might have kicked about Cut. eight. Yeah, oh, was it Swanee? Swan. It might have been, yeah. Yeah. But, oh, and then it was, it was fantastic. 
a great experience, Keith, to be there and to have had a, a big part to do in what, what actually transpired in that game. Now, just to move along, you later became involved at the club in a, in a bigger capacity as, as general manager. Um, 1976, I think you were appointed. Yes. How did that come about? Uh, was uh, Alan Cowie... Well, actually, Brucey Compton, he, he, he was the one that suggested I get take the job. I took the job over, and that's a, that's a case of... I won't mention names, but I know, I know a chap, a high-profile Joe. He took a job with the channel, with the uh, Channel 9, and, uh, and it's like a case that similar to me. I'm, I'm not an administrator, so I relied on the people around me, and uh, but... I knew that football-wise, I knew it. Yeah, I, I didn't. Not, I'm not being egotistical or anything about that. I just knew when they get down the rooms, get down there, and we, when we had a slack, slack off, get the we put the, uh, the um, balloons up in the ground just like a grand final when they were down, and George George would bring them in, and he'd uh, give them a burst, you know. And they all hated him, but they <laughs> they loved him. And anyway, so uh, that whole part of it, I see, uh, that was my forte, you know, that I could do that. And, uh, and I loved doing it. And you were there, I think, um, through till 1979, which again was another premiership year. But, I mean, through that period, 76 through 78, 76, I think, in retrospect, was the one that got away. That I think the team was in a pretty good position to... Take the flag that year, and unfortunately didn't materialise. They would have, if they had been pointed. Uh, I went. Oh, you don't know. So I mentioned, you know, if we had got parking at that stage, I think we Carlton would have had five or six premierships because when he came in to take the job over, a uh, a purse after purse, he uh, they won another two. So and I just worked it out. It would have been the best CEO they've ever had. I'm a little dirty on it because I missed out. <laughs> and you did mention to me off air, Keith, that um, we know that that David Parkin did come to Carlton at the end of 1980. Yeah. But there was there was an earlier overture which you were involved uh, to get him across. You'd heard him speak somewhere. Yeah, up at Narrabeen. 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 Tell us. That was a big sporting complex, and uh, the league took up the up and coming coaches and up and. Po- they selected, you know, captains of the clubs, and uh, yeah, and I heard him, and I said, "This guy's he's way ahead of everybody." He was right, you know. He was just so in, so interesting to listen to, and uh, I, I came back and I told Wes and uh, Kevin, not Wes and uh, Peter McLean, they were on the match committee, and somewhere along the line, the leakage went out that that the uh, so we could get the job, and uh, that's how it happened. You wonder what might have been, you know, if, if Parkin had no, committed. No doubt, it. no doubt it would be, no doubt. And you mentioned Wes Lofts. Now, Wes yeah. Lofts, uh, you know, often been recur- referred to here as JR, the power brave of the club, and yet, you know, we, we don't hear from him. We, we very rarely, we've re- very rarely seen him over the years. He was very, you know, private person. Conservative, yeah. What was he, he like, and what was his influence on the place? Oh, he was good. He was good. He was a sort of like uh, he, uh, he he did it his way as far as he he'd only come down to training. You know the, the other selectors would be down early. He just played that party, but he but he was cunning, a very cunning guy. He was good. He 
really good. Along yeah. serving chairman yeah, selectors. Yeah, and Jack Rout. They're both great. I think Lopsy learned so, the craft off Jack. So, yeah, so what it means is that you've got to have the right people behind the scenes. You know, it's not all the, the coaching can pick it up, do what, but you always need that sort of person. You've had a little bit to do with some of the recruits that came to Carlton. Um, Ken Hunter, I think, was one that you'd mentioned off air earlier. Yeah, well, I got the tip about the... Uh, I, rang, I rang... I knew Mel Brown, and I rang him, and I said, any good players over there? But I wasn't going over to see... I didn't know about Hunter. And he just said, oh, there's a skinny kid down there. He said, real good player, tough, hard, kick a ball. And I said, what's his name? He said, Hunter... And I went and saw Claremont, I forget who they were playing, Subiaco, I think, and, uh, oh, he went up in the air, took a terrific mark, and then he went and knocked a bloke flying, he's only skinny, and I said, oh, this guy. So I just worked on him, and we got, we got him. Val Perovic was another one. I yeah. mean, he took advantage of that situation. He, he had a fallout yeah. with Lindsay Fox. Yeah, you know, Kilda. you can write, make a movie I do, couldn't you? And uh, when they, uh, was, uh, they go okay by the... Uh, Channel 10, we could have a link because there was a story for them about the, when we were going up to uh, Sebastopol. And uh, we, so we're flying around. We know he's got a purple uh, ute and we're flying around and uh, so we landed on the ground, on Sebastopol ground. This was in the Channel 10 helicopter, Kirk? Yeah, yeah. We had to be back at a certain time. So uh, we then when we... Get, so get down, we land down, and we had to get travel a mile or something to get back. And he's building them with the concrete, building bricks up and what have you, you know. And anyway, he, uh, he we said, oh, no, I can't come down now. He said, I'm, I'm a bit more like Geelong. I don't want to be travelling, you know. That's how he, Lindsay Fox, he fell out with Lindsay Fox because he, he didn't want to be doing training and doing all these sort of things. Anyway, I said, get you, I said to the bloke, Mixing up, I said, "Will you go and get it, these boots?" He's all oh, you know. So he thought, "Gee, this is all right. Give, give some news about me." <laughs> and so, but he said, "No, I won't come down." He said, "I'll come down tomorrow." So we hadn't signed it, and I thought, "Well." So we flew back, landed on the training cart, and we landed in the middle of the of the ground, and then uh, uh, he came down, and he he came to us, which was a great puller. What a great player he was. Two-time oh, premiership yeah. player. He was a great bloke. Great See, fella. He, he was a fella you had to meet him to, and get him on the right way. And, and I, I think, again, that, that's, a, that's a, an art you got and you, you've got to use it. Absolutely. Another player, Keith, that you'd mentioned earlier was Robert Klomp. Now, Robert Klomp, you said, uh, hailed from Sturt, and Sturt very rarely let a player go. Never, never let her go, Sturt, to any club. Never, never came to Victoria, you know, no way known. And uh, George was with me, and George Gay, he, he was great, he was terrific. I remember we had a, there's a great fish place in Adelaide, but that's where we sort of more or less signed him up, and he turned out a good player. Absolutely. George made him an offer he couldn't refuse, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's another great story about your time as uh, general manager, and uh, we revisited this story a little while ago. It was actually getting uh, the girls from ABBA, uh, Anna and Frida, oh, to actually yeah, wear carbon yeah, guernseys. Yeah, yeah, How did you manage yeah. that? Well, I had a managing guy, and I, heard, I knew they were coming out to, uh, they're going to land in Salamarinas. I said, get up there quick and lively. Take a jumper, bang, and he yeah, uh, he got up there and he did a job on it. Got it. You wouldn't get near them, yeah? 
Did you find it? Did you ever find out the photo at all? Did you? We've got the photo. We've got the photo, and and it's actually on film as well. The girls oh, in right, Carlton yeah. tops, very becoming. And they then, they, then they went over to Perth, and we sent out the whole band. They had a band over there, and they all got a Guernsey, Carlton Guernsey. But Fantastic. She was, good, she was a good sort too. <laughs> she was, but although she had a good tough bloke bodyguard alongside. <laughs> yeah. um, you were a long time. A friend and confidant of the late Richard Pratt. Yes. Um, who was Richard Pratt, Keith? You knew him uh, as well as anyone, perhaps if not better. Well, you were close he, to him. He, what sort of a fellow was he? Oh, he's a great, he's a great guy. He's he a very bad temper. He'd go off. You so if he had a real go at you, you feel like you'd like to punch him in the nose. But he, uh, but next day, how are you? You know, bang bang. He was great like that. Went round. He was. I got so many things I learned from him. It was just fantastic. How did you come to know him? Was that through Carl, well, or yeah, did you know him before? He, he saw me. He knew that I. We lived up in the Gold Coast. I said, when up in the Gold Coast, uh, my, uh, Stevens, uh, a, a reporter, Mark, Mark Stevens, was it? He he interviewed me up in the Gold Coast. I, I said, in ten years there'll be a Gold Coast team here, and uh, it turned out. A bit longer than ten years, but uh, it happened. But you could see it. You could see, it. you know. So I think he took me. We used to do things at the uh, for him. You sort of Richard. You, if you do, bring up something and you do it, he and he gets it. If it goes right, so he relied, He just took. A, I've always been sort of a try go getter, you know. And some sometimes nine out of ten would fail, but the, the one might click. And of course, he was a great entrepreneur. Because when, when we when we opening, we were opening up the recycling area up in uh, Sydney, and uh, I said to him, Richard, I said, "What about Kappa? What about this is the swans going on?" I said, "What about Kappa? I'll take him out of the supermarket so we can see if we can get there." Anyway, that worked out, and Kappa used to go every Saturday morning, not Sunday, because and uh, and I said, "Nobody, I know who he is." But all the girls went through the supermarket. Cap was there, you know, and the footy was just starting swans. And uh, anyway, we got the job with these supermarkets. But they were all little things, and that's what he liked about you. You know, he, he always said, oh, you're bloody mad, Mac. You know what you're talking about. And <laughs> But all those things. But, uh, you know, I know I have a marvellous life with him, marvellous. Now, Keith, it's almost 70 years since you first played football for North Melbourne. Yeah. How has the game changed, and has it changed for the better? Oh, no, I think it's better now, yeah, I think it's better. You know, the, I think the, the, the way they are, they're more like athlete, athletes now, aren't they? They, you know, they just go, they're so strong, tougher, running. You know, in our time, if you went from, if you handballed on the back line, you could whoop, pull you out and do those sort of, maybe uh, skills, the skills of them now are sensational. You know, it's just the well. It's the way they train. It's like everything in it. So I, I just feel that the uh, our era was more like what we do training, end to end, kicking the ball for about quarter of an hour, half an hour. And I think that's how it sort of was. You know, they go for the mark and kick the ball. And your allegiance to Carlton has remained to this day. Why do you think that relationship with the club has endured, Keith? Well, they. 
You know, I, I, I just think I'm very lucky to be, you know, fancy bloke finishes uh, on the bottom in 70 and he uh, comes uh, to a club that's won flags and, and, and I found they they took me as one of, one of them. They would, you know, they just, they, I just wanted to, and I felt, I just love Carlton, you know, I just sort of, the opportunity I got out of it all, I appreciated it. Appreciate it very much. And, and a final question that we put to all our guests: What does Carlton actually mean to you? Oh, Carlton! Oh, you, to, you know. Well, it's very difficult. Everyone said when Carlton North play, he, uh, I, they said, "How, how do you go on there?" I said, well, well, I can't lose. You know, they both had <laughs> to play each other. But the, uh, I still got a lot of ties at uh, North Melbourne. You know, good mates, and there's not many in our uh, fifty grand final. I think there's only two of us left, Kevin Dine and myself. I think there might be another one, I'm not sure. So, uh, you know, if, if I'm not stupid enough not to still say, well, that was my ground, living and playing league football, and uh, I accept it, and, uh, and I still am very, still okay with North, you know. It's just the, just the, I got that breakfast going, you know. Did you? Yeah. We'd say we had... In 1966, Still going I, said strong. Ron, I said to Ron Jason, what about the, what about no one's got a breakfast? So Ron got to work on it. Ron Casey was the guest speaker and uh, it was 10 bucks to get in. And the, uh, that thing just grew. But everyone, everyone says they, uh, they started the breakfast. This bloke started this, and I just say, well, get a get a lie detector. We'll sit down together. We'll see who wins it. <laughs> Everyone's won it, but they even mention it now. But they they'll mention some now. And I think the, so I said Lou. Someone said Lou got the breakfast going or something. Oh, made me laugh. Keith, it's terrific that you've set the record straight on on the breakfast and a lot of other moments in time that have happened both at North Melbourne and here at Carlton. It's a pleasure to hear you reminisce today. It's great to see you still fit as a Mallee Bull and we look forward to seeing you in the Carlton Winners Circle again very soon. Thanks again, Keith, for talking. Thanks, Dan. My thanks to Luca Ganano for today's podcast. Um, Thank you again to Keith McKenzie and we look forward to um, returning again shortly with our next guest for our history. Thank you.